Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Adam Richard, returning guest on the podcast. He's currently in lockdown in Sydney, as am I. So we talked about weight, work, how to dress, uh, his new study goals and nerddom. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. He's just, yeah, such a cool guy. And he's had recently a very big life change. So it's always interesting to talk to people after a recent big life change. They have new ways of thinking about things. So it's good to have him back. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting me either by listening or sharing my work or directly on patreon.com slash Alice Fraser, where I have my weekly Tea with Alice salons. And I also put up various blogs and thoughts and we have conversations and it's really nice. Um, It's also an incredible thing to have had such a support base through this pandemic. Um, I cannot describe what it means um, other than it's kept me alive during this time. Um, And uh, that's an incredible thing. So thank you so much to everyone who supports me there. If you don't want to support me financially, again, sharing my stuff that you like is a massive difference. Um, Following me on social media makes a massive difference. At Alliterative on Twitter and Instagram, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E is the place to do that. Even if you don't use those platforms, the numbers make a difference. People look at those things, uh, even though they probably shouldn't. It's also the best place to find out when I have any live gigs, which at the moment I don't. So anyway, I'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening. You're having tea with Alice. Hello, who are you and what are you drinking? Uh, hello, I'm the fabulous, allegedly, Adam Richard, and I'm drinking a lemon and ginger and ginseng herbal infusion. Oh, that's very nice. What made you decide on that this um, fine morning? I've got gastritis and one of the treatments is to stop caffeine and uh. it has been a struggle. But I'm in week three of no caffeine. So usually I just have hot water with a slice of lemon, but I already had one of those this morning. So now I'm on to a herbal infusion from Marks and Spencer's that my friend sent me from... Uh, England, one of my podcast listeners sent me a bunch of chocolate biscuits and tea bags. Oh, that's so nice. That's the kind of thing that my people get me. But uh, what's the process of getting off caffeine? Uh, for me, it was just stop. Just, I mean, the like gastritis is really painful. Like it's, and it's, it has a lot of associated gas. <laughs> gastritis, emphasis on the gas. Yes. And it's like way down, like first day I thought it was like a heart attack. I'm like, oh, I'm having a heart attack. Oh, I'm old. And I'm like, no, that's, then it was like burping. And I'm like, oh yeah, here we go. That's that thing. Um, so yeah, it would, it's just been an experiment basically. And I'm taking some hideous pills that I don't trust, but hey. Got to take the hideous pills that you don't trust, I guess. Yeah, I know. It just seems weird that, you know, there's this magic pill that cures all um, stomach ailments now that we haven't had before. It's is, like a, is that technology advancing or standard maybe, slipping? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Like I asked my doctor, what's the worst that can happen long term? And he goes, oh, it, it hinders calcium reabsorption. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, but, but yeah. heaps of stuff does that. Yeah, I know. Like... It's all our bones are brittle. Um, so yeah, I yeah, it's been weird. It's like it's mostly fine. Like the first few days, there's headaches. Have you ever not? Do you drink? Have you ever had not have caffeine for a few well, days? So I drink tea rather than coffee. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's occasionally not it's not as intense. The times that I've you know been away from tea or not had it, it sort of you, yeah. you sort of notice it, but it's not. Like wildly yeah. intense. Whereas my dad, who's a massive coffee addict, if he doesn't drink it, he gets like crippling headaches in the morning. Yeah, it's really painful. But I figured I already had the stomach pain, so I'm, you know, <laughs> headache's not going to hurt me for a day or so. And it's not been too bad. I just get a bit woolly. Yeah. Like woolly headed where I'm like, ah, what am I doing? I walked into this room for a reason. No. Nah. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. What have you been wrestling with of late? Um, wrestling with emotionally or physically? <laughs> Either or both. Uh, my weight. Um, I've got some lockdown kilos going on. 
Uh, not even lockdown kilos. It's just like it's my job moved basically into my house. And so, you know, I just go to another room. And for 18 months, I'm for work. All I've done is just go into another room. Whereas I used to have like a 20 to 30 minute walk every day to, to and then from work. So it was like at least an hour of physical activity. And now my activity is um, finding clothes to put on in case there's a Zoom meeting. <laughs> well, it is that thing, isn't it? I find it so much easier to do exercises, any any form of exercise if I'm on my way somewhere. So much mm. of my like... Everyone's like, oh, you're really fit. And I, I, yes, I occasionally, like, I quite like going to the gym and things like that. But most yeah. of my stuff is just, like, lugging a banjo around London. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, lugging usually a banjo with some sound equipment, like 16 to 20 kilos, just dragging yeah. it around all day. And that, yeah. you know, that keeps you feeling pretty, like, strong and competent. It was really interesting when my mum died, I noticed after about six or eight months that I was a lot weaker because I wasn't helping lift yeah. places. And that yeah. was when I sort of got back into going to lifting weights and things because previously you're it was still used to lifting a whole human. It's, it's of kind day. of weird because your motivation's different. Like it's like, oh, this person needs me to help them, whereas oh, these are just weights. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't need to lift them. <laughs> Yeah, well, I need, I, yeah, I need to take this thing from here to here is, or yeah. I need to help this person get from here yeah. to here is a much better motivator than I'm going to pick yeah. this up and put it back down again. Incidental exercise. It's almost like, you know, if <laughs> if there was like a, a barbell in the shower when you had to clean it, like you had to lift that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> you put Wouldn't weights so in the handles easier. of your dishwashing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, oh, this pot. <laughs> I did do this thing when I was, I went on this diet two years ago, maybe, um, the blood sugar diet where I lost a heap of weight really quickly. I lost like 12 kilos in a fortnight. Um, That's and a lot. I, yeah, huge. Um, and I, so after the first couple of weeks, I was like, I was still, you know, walking to work and walking home and everything. And then the weight started dropping a bit more slowly. As you would expect, because yes. you've lost a lot. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, I'm going to slow down now. There's not as much to lose. And I was like, oh, well, what the problem is, is that I'm missing 12 kilos uh, from my walk to work and home every day. So I started putting 12 kilos worth of stuff in my bag. Like <laughs> <laughs> these giant cookbooks and bags of coins <laughs> and just like stupid things, weighing them, going, that's 12 kilos. That's how much I've lost. So that's. It was so heavy. Like, I think I was doing damage to my back and my shoulders. It was like, like walking to work like this, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> struggling through the streets. What you need is, like, proper proper distribution. You need, like, a, a jacket with pockets full of textbooks yeah. and bags of sand. But and <laughs> I just, like, how was I, like, how was I carrying that around every day? Like, that's the thing that astounded me. Like, in the yeah. end, I lost 40 kilos and I'm like, I can't lift 40 kilos. My television weighs forty kilos. It's hard to lift up. <laughs> so you 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 sort of have had a lifelong thing with your weight, or since your twenties or whatever. Yeah, I mean, even when I was a kid, I was a bit porky. Um, like you know, I did that. I had that weird thing where kids get fat and then they get have a growth spurt, and so it all evens out. <laughs> so I would do that. I'd go out and up and out and up and out and up. But yeah, at the start of my twenties, I just went straight up, and I was very very emaciated. And then, like, I think it was around the time I started doing stand-up, I just started stacking on weight. I hit 100 kilos for the first time and then I've never been back under <laughs> in my life. What was that? Um, I think it was I'd stopped taking drugs. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't on the gear every weekend. <laughs> Living on the dole, <laughs> you know, scooting around St Kilda trying to scrape together enough money to get a bag of gack. <laughs> I mean, that'll do it. That'll do the trick. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, yeah, I think I just was, you know, I, yeah, I was earning money and I could afford to eat. 
And, you know, your metabolism in your 20s is is very forgiving. Like, you know, I think my diet consisted of Coca-Cola and Snickers for about four years and to no detriment. And then, you know, one day your body just goes, nah. <laughs> yeah, we used to call it pulling the ripcord. Yes. <laughs> All those football players who have like a really high... <laughs> High carb diet because they're exercising all day, and then they just stop running around a field, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, no, nah, you have uh, <laughs> well, so it's, you have not it's, stopped eating that way." Weight stuff is interesting to me because I, I sort of wrestled with it by proxy because mm. I was mum had, you know, she was heavier or lighter, but often heavier because she had impulse control stuff in her brain yeah. with the MS, and as her daughter. You know, you want you want her to be healthy and you want her to be well. And then mm. there was also obviously, you know, body image things that play into that, into your, you know, your odd relationship with your parent um, mm. and sort of trying to keep her healthy. And But you're not allowed to boss your mum around, so you have to, like, do it in these sneaky ways and there's all this <laughs> odd stuff. And now I look online and I see these, like, incredible body positivity movements and... I feel so strange about them because on one hand I think it would have been incredible for mum. Yeah. Because, you know, after after she had us, she had twins, she took us to term and then she never really got, you know, they say getting your body back. But it, it's, oh, not yes. getting, it's not getting back to the shape you were in before. It's just feeling like you're in control of your body, feeling like you have the ability to do things with your body, like it's your own again. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. is the big thing. For, as opposed for, to an incubator. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to something that is serving other people. Yes, I'm so, feeding a human um, until it's popped out and then I will continue to feed it, but manually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't get to feel a certain way about it and I don't get to own it and, you know, all of my urges are serving this other being. I and thought so, I was under the impression that, like, breastfeeding made you lose weight really quickly after uh, birth. It depends. Breastfeeding burns yeah, a lot of calories, but it also makes you very hungry. Also, you're sitting yeah. around all day. And, you know, all of these things are very complicated. But, yeah, this odd thing of seeing this movement rise up, the body positivity movement, mm. and feeling like, oh, that would have been so good for her, or would it? <laughs> See, I've always been kind of positive about my size, whatever it was. In fact, one of the... I've always said one of the key ways to lose weight is to actually be comfortable with who you are. Like you can't constantly have this thought in your head of like, oh, I'm just temporarily fat. Like, you know, which my temporary phase was 30 years. Uh, <laughs> but you can't just, because that is the mindset. It's just like, oh, I've just put on a bit of weight. It'll go. Well, it's like part like of magic. what keeps American uh, capitalist culture so unhealthy is everyone thinks they're temporarily poor. And yes. they support all of the systems that allow some people to be rich yes. at the cost of other people. Yeah. So it's that thing of like, so as soon as you go, no, no, I'm a fat person. I'm going to, I'm, I may be this, this weight for the rest of my life. I'm mm. just going to deal with that. Like I ha you have, once you accept that you're fat, then it's easier to go make the next step of going, well, now I can do something about being a fat person as opposed to being a thin person who just is temporarily fat and waiting for it to go away. <laughs> You're a fat person taking action about your weight. And, you know, I was quite happy to be a fat person, but I had a terrible liver function test and it was like, well, now I actually have to do something about it. It's not, you know, physically bad. I was heading towards type 2 diabetes. Like it was... Rough. Yeah. Like it's... I would have been happily, you know... You know, I was on I was on TV at my bathers at 130 kilos. <laughs> you know, and that was a struggle for me. But you know, I did it. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a fat person on TV in my bathers. That's why they hired me because I was a fat person. It's part of the job. Well, they'd written a hilarious promo based on Shallow Hell where I jumped in the pool and everyone got wet. <laughs> oh, no, I know. When when I found that out, I was like, oh man. Could have asked for more money. <laughs> Obviously, all the other fat comedians had said no, and there are a lot of us. <laughs> more than you would think. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting. That's a really interesting thing to have to kind of process as well. 
mm. um, body positivity and, and where that's really good for people and where it's not so good for people. I think it's yeah, I mean, you know, life. I never thought of myself as unhealthy. But, I mean, the the liver problem was damage done from years of drinking. And then, yeah, the the bad food was not helping. Once I, and also, you know, you were, because alcohol is very, is sugar-based, <laughs> you end up replacing it with cakes and other sweet things because your body is just addicted to you know processed sugars refined sugars of some description whether it's been turned into alcohol or a cake your body just is like i need these these flavors and they're terrible well there's there's also this wobbly line right between you can do whatever the fuck you want with your body and you should be allowed to do whatever the fuck you want with your mm. body. And if we, if you want to sit around all day and eat cake and, and that makes you happy and you feel comfortable with that, you know, that, that should be allowed or celebrated or, or whatever. You shouldn't yeah. be treated as less than because of that. But at the same time, you or, or it gets wobbly around the edges when you have, for example, if you have a carer or a family or, you know, what to, what is your to duty you to the people around you? you? <laughs> Yeah. In terms of that or in terms of, you know, medical stuff, then surgeries become harder and all, all of those things sort of knock on effects. Having How a baby becomes a nightmare. Like if you're wanting to start a family, that becomes difficult. Like it's, yeah. There I are... have a friend who's just been diagnosed with um, having a big baby. Uh, oh, prenatal diabetes or whatever it is. And I'm not sure how much that has to do with weight or if it's just a random thing, but her baby's no, too no, big. No, I no, know, I know a couple of people who like obscenely thin people, like uh, like crazy dieting people, and both of them got uh, gestational diabetes. But it's also happened to my bigger friends as well. I think it's just a... It just happens. Yeah, but basically they're talking about, you know, they'd have to break the baby's collarbone if she wants to give birth Ugh. in a traditional way, so she has to have a cesarean section. And you yeah, think, oh, no. well, 150 years ago you'd be dead, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's where all these congenital problems that we're all facing are coming from. Like we, we all wouldn't have survived through childbirth <laughs> before. <laughs> that's why I always think like whenever anyone's going, you know, oh, we've got to go onto the paleo diet, we've got to do this because that was what the way they did in the old days. I'm like, yeah, people also died in their 20s in the old days, mate. <laughs> yeah, heaps. Well, yeah, you'd, you'd cut your finger and it would get infected and you'd die. Well, yes. Most people in history died from their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like. Speaking of, I went to the dentist this week and I had like a numb face all day yesterday. <laughs> I forgot how annoying it was. <laughs> I did, did you dribble on anything? Out one side. Yes. Yeah, that's a great one. I, I, did a, I did a very powerful spit in the uh, dentist chair that went nowhere near the bowl. <laughs> They went, we're used to it, it's okay. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> just spit on the floor like a Viking. Like, okay, now spit away. And it just went, went, oh, yeah, that wasn't as close as I thought it was. <laughs> the worst dentist thing that I had was I had a, a, a filling, um, but I, ha- I had to be on the radio, and it was like maybe the first time I'd been on proper radio. Uh, oh. And so I told them to do it without anaesthetic. No, because uh, I didn't want to go numb, and I didn't want to be no. slurring, and because I was so excited about this radio thing, and that was extremely unpleasant. <laughs> I would have just postponed the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think what? of that. It was that early twenties phase where you're like have to, you know, feel like you have to please you everyone, and you can't turn anything down, and any inconvenience that you cause to anyone else is a drastic disaster. Yeah, and you realise yeah. that you can actually throw your weight around. I don't know if you. Yeah, I don't know if you can in those early days or not. I mean, you probably can, but only only those really entitled people would. You know those. (laughs) You know those people that just like cancel everything. Oh yeah, no, I've cancelled. I've cancelled dinner. It's like, mate, it's you were just coming over. (laughs) We're gonna have a pizza. (laughs) You're not cancelling dinner. One of, my, one of my closest <laughs> friends is in the UK is late to everything, including now on Zoom. Like, we'll be half an hour late to a Zoom meeting. And you think, but you're what at are home. You doing? <laughs> you're at home. Uh, this is the thing that's shocked me because I'm doing, I'm studying at the moment. I'm at university and it's all on Zoom. And 
I'm the only one who has their camera on and the only one on time. And it freaks me out. I'm like, what? And I know I would have been like that at that age. I'm like, what would I have been doing that was so desperately important that I just couldn't make it? (laughs) And some of them just, like, log into Zoom and then go off and do stuff. Like, sometimes the teacher will call on them and you can tell, oh, they're in the car, they're driving somewhere. (laughs) Like, they're doing their class. Well, one guy did, I don't want to turn my camera on because you'll see where I am. And like the teacher's like, well, I want to see where you are. And he was in Byron Bay. <laughs> he just got on holidays. <laughs> That's pretty good. I always used to could. be struck by the college <laughs> students on campus because they lived on campus. Um, yeah. And they were always late to lectures. And I thought like, that you live so there. close. I know. You know. I was traveling, whatever it was, from from where I was living at the time, so like 45 minutes or an hour in, and I was always on time. Yeah. My school was like about a 40-minute tram ride, like my high school, yeah. and I was always on time. Like it was... Are you, yeah, are you, yeah, you're an early person but in general. Yeah, not... In the, I went through a period of not being very early. I've been up late a lot, um, you know, when I was thin. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I did breakfast radio for 10 years, so... Kind of just got used to the mornings. In fact, oh, I, when you I get up at four o'clock in the so morning, so much as just like generally showing up to things on time. Oh, just you know, yeah, no, I'm. Well, that's just a professionalism thing, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't I, that, I'm always like an hour early to a gig. Isn't that like I care about this job, therefore I am here and prepared? Because if you're late, I mean, I always said this to when I used to teach people how to do stand up, like. I'd be like, you know, when you're up there with your T-shirt that looks like you've had a sniff of it off the floor and popped it on and your pants have got that stain there and I can see your pockets full of wallets and keys and things and your hair's a mess. It's like, that's not charming to me. That just says you have other places to be and I'm a real inconvenience in your day as an audience member and you've got shit to do and you've just popped in here to do your five minutes and then you're fucking off to something better. And it's like... No one wants to feel like that. <laughs> and I feel like when you turn up late to something, it's like, oh, you pains in the ass have made me come here to waste my time and I could be at home on the PlayStation and it's just really annoying. And it's that's kind of the attitude. That's what you're saying to people when you're late. It's like, I've got other things I could be doing. This is a bit shit, whatever it is. Yeah, the affect of being too cool for something has never been appealing to me because I think being cool as a kind of an aesthetic is about Mm. not caring about stuff that isn't important. um, Yes. But caring about stuff that is important. Yeah. I think. Or maybe I don't have any idea what coolness is because I've never been cool. No, but you know know those people that get up on stage and they're all passionate about whatever, whatever they're talking about, whether it's, you know, they're angry about someone cutting in front of them in line or if they're angry about the environment or if they're a political comedian or whatever it is, whatever their their choice of, of tirade is that they're trying to make jokes about, the fact that they've kind of turned up like doing the gig is the most annoying thing in the world, you're just like, well, do you really care? Because it seems like you don't. <laughs> like your your voice is saying all the things like you care about this thing, but your physicality and your attitude says you don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so it's either it's like when you're ri- hypocrisy. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're writing and you write, someone says, oh, I never do this. And then they do all those things. And it's like, well, you either do that as a conscious choice and you're making them their own unreliable narrator or you're terrible at writing. <laughs> 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 it's just like... Action is character. What someone says shouldn't really be taken into it. But yeah, you like the it's it's weird. Someone claiming they care about things and then actively not giving a shit. <laughs> so this is interesting. Did you have a liar in your life? Because mm. my granny was a benevolent liar. She just said anything that came into her head ever, anytime, whatever. Like she just So she was like it. a man. <laughs> anything at all uh you know just make up these stories or whatever but her her real personhood was 
demonstrated in every action that she took. She was always kind. Yeah. She was always generous. She was always, you know, helping somebody or going out of her way to help somebody at, at great effort and great cost. And then, you know, mm. she'd say, oh, you can't trust the Greeks or whatever. Uh, <laughs> that was my dad. <laughs> was that was that your dad? Oh, no, he was, he was racist about everyone. <laughs> but also a nice person or not so much? No, nah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, that I, I sort of feel like you learn that lesson early or you don't learn it at all, which is that what yeah. people say doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it sort of does, but it also isn't the, the it, most important thing. Yeah, it's what you do, not what you like. Yeah, it's that's that's another screenwriting rule, which is action is character. Like, the characters can say and do say whatever they want. It's what they do that defines who they are, kind of thing. It's yeah. You can go, I'm a lovely person, and then just be the most horrific person in the world. Like <laughs> I had this I had this friend who was always doing charity gigs and always complaining about them. It's like, why are you doing them? Like, oh, just because I want to give back. It's like, yeah, but you're being a pain in the ass about it. Like you're you're demanding all these things at these gigs and then you're complaining to your agent that they're not getting you better work, but you're continuing to do heaps of gigs for free. Um, and and also, like, I remember once we, like, we had this day where I was going through a relationship breakup and wanted to speak to them about, like, you know, I need to get this off my chest because I think my relationship is ending and I've been living there for seven years and I think it's, you know, it's not going to happen anymore. And they took me to this cafe um, where everyone spoke French. It was a French cafe and they'd been learning French. So they spoke to everyone in French. I just sat there while they all talked in French around me. And then they had to go to some asylum seeker thing that they were donating things to. Um, and they're like, oh, I've got to leave, I've got to leave. And I was like, look, I'll drive you. I've got my car here. I'll drive you so you don't have to panic about this. And, it, and then just talked at me the entire way in the car <laughs> about this situation. They're about to go overseas in about three days. And then when they got out of the car, put their foot on the ground and went, oh, I haven't even asked you how you are. I'll, we'll, we'll save that for next time. I'm like, great, next time. I'm like, why are you going out of your way to do all this charity stuff when in real reality you don't actually care about other people? <laughs> it's just how you look. <laughs> yeah, You've I, had three hours here to ask me a question and it has not happened. <laughs> I had I had a two-year break from a friendship that I had thought was a very, very close friendship because after mum died, I just wanted to have a cup of tea and talk. And every mm. time we met up, he brought someone who I didn't know. He just brought a random friend. And he clearly couldn't handle, you know, I wanted for like five minutes to just go, this is really yeah. awful, this is really sad. And, uh, it would, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a huge whinger. I, w I just wanted to say this is this, this is this odd feeling where, you know, you know, the whole foundation of your universe has shifted and he just yeah. couldn't do it. And it was like, okay, that was... That was really I have a friend who always brings so random charming. people, and I don't understand. It's like, why do you always bring someone? I don't like. I don't. I don't want to meet new people. I'm fifty. <laughs> I think that's a sign of double booking. That's a that's a double. That's a somebody. Who's oh yeah, probably is. It's like it's just someone who can't say no, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, those idiots. But this is. And the in thing. the end, they have too many friends and no actual friends. They have no one they can converse with because they're. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's changed so completely, though, in the last, like, five years because my approach used to be sort of what people say doesn't really matter and now mm. so many of your interactions with people are just what, what they say. You can only yeah. understand them through what they say because you're only meeting them on that one channel and it, it, it throws off my ability to assess people, I think. Yeah, but, I mean, when you get older, you just don't want anyone taking action in and around you. <laughs> but, I mean, nowadays speech is action, right? You know, people yeah, online, they're presenting themselves in this, like, format. I know, but it's, I don't know, it's, I've always found the whole weird online bullying and uh, thing difficult, and maybe this is because I have a, you know, a thick carapace, but I, I 
you know, I was raised with the whole sticks and stones mentality. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but, you know, what you say can't hurt me. And it's like, whereas now it's like, no, 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 sticks and stones, they're nothing compared to an online troll. <laughs> and I, my biggest, my biggest takeaway from the whole online bullying thing is that I think it only really became apparent how hurtful words were when privileged middle-class white people were being attacked. It's like, if you're in a minority, it's like, no, I'm used to this. This is my day-to-day existence. Like, being a gay person and growing up in the 80s, that was my everyday existence. But when people my age uh, got online and people started saying hurtful things to them, they're like, I can't believe anyone said this. It's like, mate... Water for tucks back. I am so used to this. <laughs> You've just never had it before. You've gotten to 40 before anyone has said you're actually a dickhead. <laughs> well, that's that's a really interesting thing because, you know, as as somebody who grew up gay in the 80s and obviously had that, there's like there's that gay culture thing of also saying the worst mm. possible stuff that you could possibly oh, say. Yeah. As a You've got to get in of, there first. Yeah, <laughs> as a, a form of defence or attack or as a form of like... Uh, exposure therapy to insult me. Yeah, it's almost like building up your resistance. It's like, you know, the more horrific you are to each other, it's like, oh, when a straight person comes at me, I am armed. <laughs> I am fully armed. Like to the point when I first started doing stand-up, one of my first routines was I would just get the audience to yell out their favourite homophobic slurs. Like I didn't couch it like that. I was like, what's your favourite name for gay people? Like yeah. Boofter or, you know butt stuffer or whatever, and people would just stop. People would happily pull them out. And I had comebacks for all of them, and it would just turn into this raucous kind of crazy thing. Like, you know, someone would yell out, ring pirate, and I'd be like, oh, you'd hate to get one with a hook. Uh, you know, <laughs> just terrible, terrible things. Yeah. Donut punch out, like all of them. Like, so, you know, I was, yeah, I was kind of prepared all the time because of it had happened so much. And I guess because, you know, me and all my game mates were all horrific to each other. <laughs> well, so th- yeah, that's, that's sort of this interesting intersection because do you think that made you more or less traumatised by when it came from outsiders? Do you think it was um, a defence or do you think it was just sort of uh, I think, I mean, arranging it, deck chairs on the Titanic sort of stuff? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just constantly not vigilant but... It's it's like I had a friend who I used to do stand-up with and she would always be terrified the audience was going to hate her. And I was like, see, I come from the other side. I assume they hate me and if I get to the end of a gig and they don't, I'm like, well, that's a, that's a surprise. That was a fun gig. They didn't yeah. hate me. Because my assumption is, oh, gay equals must hate. So, yeah. I assume so that a, of audiences... That they won't you like. You assume me. they hate you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when they do, that. you're like, oh, cool. But that's, but that, I mean, that that is a thing. Like a woman in comedy should have that attitude because more often than not, audiences are really hostile to the one female act. I mean, it's different nowadays, obviously. I haven't done a gig in a few years, but usually there's very few women on a bill. Well, particularly and in Australia, yes. You yeah, have to dig up to get to ground floor from yeah. the get go, which is its own form of interesting and fun uh but i have to say being in the uk where it's less of a thing it just felt like someone had, in the fast of the furious had flicked the nos switch in my <laughs> drag racing car <laughs> you know you're just like whoa this is super speed everyone everyone's paying attention to me what's going on <laughs> I, I, um, a, a friend of mine who's an australian comedian who came up through through Perth, um, mm. seeing her do her first London gigs and, like, her persona is more uh, hard-edged than mine, watching yeah. her come out swinging way too hard, you know, to prove herself and watching the audience sort of be set back on their heels by, like, you don't yeah. need to do this was fascinating to watch. Sorry, what I, was, I was always like that after if I'd done a fortnight in Brisbane and I went straight back to Melbourne because I used to go Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne because, like, there's – the, the audiences are very different. And Melbourne, like, you can take four hours to get to a punchline and they'll happily indulge you. But, like, Brisbane, as Brad Oaks once said to me, they will drive a truck through an um. 
so <laughs> yeah, you come back like swinging, and it's like you're you're profane and you're fast and you're agile, and it's like you get to Melbourne and the audience is like, oh, that's too much. Slow yeah. down. <laughs> They want gentle, whimsical, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, want, we want you to take some time. We don't need three punchlines in the setup. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... But, yeah, I've, I was always fascinated with the, the, the thing with female comedians. Like, I used to get it a little bit because of my gay accent. Um, people were already like... What's going on? And I had to actually say out loud, oh, by the way, you can probably tell I'm gay. And they're like, oh, thank God, he's mentioned it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, like women had to be hysterical within 30 seconds. Men could get two or three minutes before anyone really judged them. Mm. And it was awful. It was like such a... Also, the way they were introduced was always terrible. Like it just... It was like the whole structure was designed to make it not work. I once, uh, even not so long ago, I asked uh, the MC, nice man, so I won't name mm. him, to, he said, oh, how do you want to be introduced? And I just said, just no blowjob material beforehand. <laughs> because my theory at that time was that it was subconscious, that they would work their way, they'd, they'd have it in their head that a woman would come ne- next and then they just weirdly, inevitably would tell the most demeaning story about women, some horrendous thing, so that your first 30 seconds on stage was like, no, I'm not that... <laughs> Not, I'm not that um, kind of woman, I'm the kind of woman that's a person. You know, I'm not the yeah. kind of woman that's in a joke, I'm the kind of woman that's a human. <laughs> um, so I said, please, just no blowjob jokes. And so he did a three-minute bit about cunnilingus. Isn't that technically a blowjob? That was a thing, and I just walked on stage and, like, it's 500 people staring at your crotch. Yeah. Like... As you can't, like you can't see through my trousers, but that was where their focus was and that was where their minds were and you just have to just... See, I got to the point later in my career where if someone did something like that, I would walk on stage and just point at myself and go, that wasn't me. <laughs> I am too fussy for that. Because <laughs> <laughs> there'd always be kind of like a, oh, you got to, you know, backs to the wall when Adam comes on stage and I'd be like, really? you, can, oh. you can move away from the wall, buddy. I am not going there. <laughs> And people would be offended. <laughs> like, what? It's like terrified that you want to fuck them and then horrified that you didn't. It's like, I, I live in some weird zone of, <laughs> of, of either being a rapist or a prude. Uh, why? why? <laughs> well, the why idea is that, that you're not attractive to someone being a real insult. I once had a I guy um, threaten me from the front row as, as a kind of a response to a punchline where he said, oh, I'd hmm. rape you. And then I had a go at him. I made him the target of the next couple of jokes and sort of landed them on him. And then he said, well, no, I don't want to. Like it was a worse (laughs) insult. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to rape you is... You know that's 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 an insult. That's uh, that's polite. <laughs> yeah, like I wouldn't rape you with a ten foot pole. You're like, well, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I always I always found it weird when um, you know, when people would whistle at women and they'd ignore them and then get called a slut. It's like that is a weird. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't understand how that's an insult for that situation. It's like. Literally, that is not what she's doing. <laughs> it's the opposite of the thing that you think. Yeah. <laughs> you see that now with, like, send nudes and then the moment that you don't, then they're like, oh, what a bitch. Uh, yeah. It's an I, odd entitlement. Yeah, I, I, I always just say, oh, look, I'm occasionally uh, on television and I know if I send a nude, it will escape. <laughs> You so don't I just understand. don't send it to anyone. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I've not really, not gotten into nude culture. I'm slightly too old for <laughs> nude thing. I think you'd think I was, but apparently no. Even at this age, people still want to see dick pics. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even up for a relationship or anything. I just, just random people send me a text going, "Can I see you?" No. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very that's yeah. It, it amuses a, me. It, it it's doesn't. It's a gay thing, I think. <laughs> well, I just I, I, look. I, I sort of get it further on into a relationship if you've been yeah. going out with someone and you happen to be overseas or whatever. 
But uh, the idea of that being your introductory move, as though anyone's yeah. best feature were their genitalia. Yeah. It's just, it's not. Sorry. Like, I know I'm oh. sure everyone who's listening has beautiful genitalia. But yeah, everyone I guarantee does. there are other things that are nicer <laughs> to lead with. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And it's kind of that, like, it means there's a miscommunication because, like, obviously the person who wants to see the nudes is already in a horny space. Mm. And it's like, no, I'm actually on the tram. <laughs> yeah, the problem with asynchronous communication is. <laughs> it's like, I, I know you're at home, possibly in the bath or wherever you are, deciding that you want to see nude pictures of me, but I am... Not somewhere where I feel, even though they could be stored on your phone and you just fire them off. Like, <laughs> yeah, but even see that even is sort of worse to me. I think I in a, in my head because you don't want <laughs> recycled nudes. No, I've, I've been sending this nude to everyone. Everyone's got this one. <laughs> just copy paste. It's like, it's like we're handing out your headshots at auditions. Like <laughs> <laughs> I've signed the bottom right hand corner of all of these dick pics. <laughs> Like my fan cards. <laughs> We've got the stats on the back. Batting average. Like a football card. <laughs> a basketball card. Uh, I mean, the fact that that doesn't exist yet, like a, a, a nudes trading card. I'm sure it oh actually does. I'm sure it does. It probably sure. does. Because there's that, like, there's the sex culture, which I always find fascinating. Sex nerd culture. People who go to Sexpo and things like that who are part oh, of yeah. them. And they're fans well, I did, of used to, porn stars. I used to work, work get their for, autographs. And I worked for an adult um, entertainment company for a, a while in my 20s. And it is such a thing. Like, it's people are totally into it, like comic books. Like, and I, I saw that happening and I was like, wow, this is weird. I've got to collect all the videos in this series. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's an odd thing because I think of, it's not that I'm anti-sex or anything like that but it seems an odd thing to have a fandom of because yeah. i feel like the mood is so fleeting if you know what i mean yeah i guess they kind of move through that i guess they you know finish whatever they're doing in the excitement bit and then just start watching it for whatever for the artistic reason. value or the <laughs> maybe i don't I mean, when you see a lot of it, you do become a little bit inured to it um, and you, yeah, you start to, like, you're like, well, that's not exciting, that's not exciting. Oh, that one looks good. <laughs> Laura Davis has a great joke about going to the the lowest rated section on Pornhub and looking at the comments of the videos that are the lowest rated. <laughs> Oh my god, Laura! Oh, she's so funny. She has that that real aesthetic of misery that is sort of—I don't know. I always think of it as a Russian thing, but she's not Russian. But it has that no. quality to it of just reveling in in the worst. Oh, but she gets so excited about it. Yeah, just thr thrilled, like utterly thrilled that there is a low. Like I would—it would never have occurred to me. I just—it's a genius way for a mind to work. That like I yeah. want to see what people are saying in the comment section of the lowest-rated video on Pornhub. Yeah. Now I want to see that. Yeah, now everyone wants to see it, but that's the like that's her <laughs> genius is just thinking of those things. Did she then read out a few? <laughs> yes. There's the, I think it's a blow-up dolphin, or it was at the time that she checked it was somebody engaging oh. with, with a, with a blow-up dolphin. What blow-up dolphin that you get with the Muhammad Ali book? That's an expensive blow-up dolphin. It's a Jeff Koons sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 10 grand video right there. It's <laughs> so amazing. It's so amazing. Yeah, no, I, if anyone here who's listening is a fan of adult um, content, can you email me and let me know why and what about it you find fascinating in that kind of um, beyond functional way, in the way that yeah. make you go to a convention or... Uh, be a, a fan in that in that thing. I had a friend who was nominated for an award <laughs> in the <laughs> in the adult film business for best cum shot. <laughs> so I, I have friends who work in it in on the kind of on the artistic end, and you yeah. know they're proper artists. They take their work really seriously. 
But I, I guess I always sort of thought of, of it as being the kind of work that if you do it well, it's invisible. Mm-hmm. The production side of things ought to sort of Like vanish. making soap operas. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, 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 yeah. The, the work that goes into it, like a sound guy, a good sound yeah. guy, you don't notice the sound because it's just no. there and good. And I imagine that, that that would be the same for that. But apparently, no, there are people who are real, real fans. Yeah. I was like, I find it weird now that everyone's got like an OnlyFans and a, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, why do you want me to send it? Just pay pay someone five bucks a month, and look, you can look at theirs. Yeah, well, there's so much <laughs> access as well. <laughs> yeah, like we don't. Also, like, if they're never to going to be able to verify it, why does you know? I know. Unless you're ever going to be in a circumstance where you can take the picture and take the real thing and put them against each other and be like, oh, that was your penis. So what, what is that? If you're catfishing someone in the nude, is that cat fucking? <laughs> <laughs> nude catfishing. <That's laughs> you don't have abs. Yeah, I do. Look at them <laughs> in this draw, photo I've sent you. them on in texture. <laughs> well, also with filters and everything, it's not very, you know, it's not very realistic, I think, a lot of women yeah. get. I know, but then you know, then we're then we're getting into. You go, you start off with filters, then you end up with like, well, I'll just get some surgery. I'll just get some enlargement surgery because it's just going to be easier than having to <laughs> do this in Photoshop every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the what they call the BBL. That's the big one at the moment, which is where women What's- get bits their fat sucked out of their back and sides. And it's oh. put into their butts. It's that Kardashian leave thing where you get a disproportionately large hips and butt and then a tiny waist. Oh. But it has, I that think, seems... one of the highest death rates of any um, cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery just feels, I'm scared of it. Like, it's, but I guess it's, you know, it's like foot binding and high heels. It's, you know. There's, there's always been some sort of pain and excruciating uh, difficulty involved with looking vaguely the same as everyone else. <laughs> well, there's this thing now of, of, of you know, uh, there's a distinction between the people who want to get plastic surgery to look good, whatever that means, mm. and then there's, there's people who want to get plastic surgery to look expensive, so, for example, yeah. in America, when they get breast implants, they tend to go for what they call the teardrop implants. So they look yeah. natural. They're a natural shape. Whereas in Russia, apparently, they want the big, round, pokey ones, those kind of 90s <laughs> breast implants, because they want everyone to know that they've got breast implants because that's what... I can afford them. Yeah, it's a it's a status thing rather than a, yeah, it's a like, beauty thing. It, like, it's like in the old days of art, like, you know, all the all the sculptures and all the women who were painted were curvy because that meant they were affluent enough to eat. <laughs> they weren't starving peasants. And it's like, well, you wouldn't paint a peasant. They're too thin and scrawny. <laughs> Whereas yeah. now it's like, we want to see scrawny. <laughs> scrawny with gigantic buzzers. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Now, yeah. Now it's sort of this odd, distorted hourglass thing. Um, yeah. In the 90s. People who look like they're going to fall over at very... some point. <laughs> Lollipop head, and now it's now it's oh, that's unbalanced. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm glad that that boobs are bum and are coming back, but it seems weird to artificially do that. Like they just grow on some people. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. They just do it. They just do yeah. the thing, and it's not worth risking your life over no. it. Do you want big buzzers? Get up the daft mate. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, where can people so find you online? Where can people uh, meet uh, I have a podcast, a daily Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> daily insane. podcast? We should have talked about this because last year <laughs> I did the um, last post, which was a daily satirical news podcast set in an alternate dimension. How are yeah. you managing? How are you coping? Well, it's 10 minutes a day. Okay. And it's not topical. Okay. <laughs> so it's Doctor Who. Um, I can sit and watch a bunch of episodes in an afternoon and pump out two weeks' worth in a day if I need to. Um, But when the show's on, obviously, when it's, like, new episodes, they're, like, right up to date. It's like I'll record straight away. Um, 
But yeah, it's 10 minutes a day. So it's essentially a one hour podcast a week. Just dribble down. I mean, <laughs> I think that's five great. episodes. What's it called? Yeah, it's fun. It, Adam Richard has a theory. Adam Richard has and a theory. And I ostensibly talk about Doctor Who, but I'm easily distracted and will start rabbiting on about all sorts of other things. <laughs> well, look up uh, Adam Richard has a theory. And uh, thank you for having tea with me. It's always lovely. Anytime, darling. Big air kisses. Mwah, mwah.